You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all and kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the door And uh, here we go And um can you hear yourself all right, Arthur? Yes, I can. How about you, Joe? How bloody unprofessional. You <laughs> should have done why? this beforehand. Now, you're going to blame us for actually... Because you were taking a hell of a long time to get into the studio. I was so chatting. I was chatting. Chatting. You're a little chatterbox, aren't you? No, no. I was chatting to Arthur Bulkus. I, I wanted to know how to make money in a hurry. <laughs> you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Not these days. He's not into, into that. It's, it's, this is... Uh, Part two, this is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. That was Kelly Whitworth, the world's second greatest producer after she, you know, dirtied her little grap sheet there. Oh, times. How's the noise? How's the, how's the volume? I don't talk like that. <laughs> well, make a bet. Now. Now, Arthur, how do you spell your surname just in case there's a book published by you at some stage? Not by you, a about your life at some stage. Um, the surname is spelt B O L K A S. K A S. Bolkus. Right. I, I heard a little penguin somewhere tell me that uh, <laughs> there could be something in, in the offering. But we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. So if I see something by Arthur Bolkus, that'll be you, would it? It would be me. It would be you. Yeah. And, and if it happens, you'll have to invite me back and I can. No, 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 no. hang on, hang on, hang on, Arthur. It doesn't go that. It no, doesn't work I'm that way. I'm just being entrepreneurial. Well, I know that. No. He loves entrepreneurs, don't <laughs> yes, you, I Joe? Do. I love it. Now, what, what, the way it works is you invite us to the book launch, and if the food and the wine is of a adequate oh, quality, okay. then we invite you. Okay. Now we must do a Fair recap. Enough. Fair enough. All right. Now, Arthur. Mm. Look, I hate to say this. Last week or a few months ago, whatever it was, was drugs. Sex, rock and roll, disco. theft, disco, disco, <laughs> theft, you name it. But you're still here. Now, we've got to the punishment type, you know. You were down at the Supreme Court, I understand. What year was that? Uh, 1976. Oh, that was a good year. Oh, 77, actually. Good year for armed robberies. It you was. Know? There was, it was. The, uh, yeah, so 77. And how many charges was thrown at you? Oh, it would have been 101 right. if they had their way. No, it was um, uh, three counts of armed robbery, mm. one attempted armed robbery, and mm. two counts of being in possession of police pistols. But no attempted murder? No, no, thank goodness. <laughs> right, 
Where are you going? No, 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 no. We, we heard the story last time. Thankfully, you know. it wasn't murder, actually. Exactly. That's you, yeah. you know, because you know, it was a very tense time. It was. We, 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 we laugh about it, but obviously there's a lot of people who've been uh, damaged for a long time by those experiences. Yeah. Uh, ask me about that maybe later. I will, I yes. will. Redemption, that comes after yes. punishment. Yes, it does. Okay. Are you going to give a brief overview of the story up to now? No, no. People, what no. people do is they go to the podcast <laughs> and look at interview number one. That's fair, one. That's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Why would we, well, we should help the listeners. You well, can't it. remember anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember who your name is. Which which one of the Kelly sisters are you? <laughs> the good looking one. Uh, tickets. You believe that? She's uh, she's got more front than mine, hasn't no, she? No, she has. Yeah, well, I, I like it though. It's you like it? Okay. Mm. No, but seriously, you're in the Supreme Court. Yeah. Do, have you got a lawyer? Yeah, I had a lawyer. How come you had a lawyer? Well, because you need a lawyer, mate, if you want to get no, just, no. justice. No, no, I know. I know you need a lawyer, but do you, do you have money for a lawyer? No. There was no uh, legal aid in those days. Yeah, there was legal There was, aid. was there, there for was serious legal cases. Aid. Yeah. Uh, my poor old dad, mm. the pensioner yep. uh, the guy, yeah. um, what money he had, yeah. it all went towards my legal expenses. Mm. So there's no legal aid then? There was, but, mate, legal aid's like, uh, you know, yeah. Lucky dip. Lucky dip. Lucky and dip. mine was a serious charge, and I needed someone with a modicum mm. of uh, experience. And QC? No, QCs. You're kidding. <laughs> 10000 a day. Who can afford that? Not in 70, not in 78. We consulted one, and that's what he said. You 10 want grand? Me? 10 grand a day, uh, plus uh, my junior barrister, and then you right. need a solicitor uh, as uh, well. So it's uh, a threesome, uh, you know? Uh, I was threatened by the. Uh, Australian Electoral Commission in 1988, and I was very nice. He said, look, he said, Dr Toscano, you go ahead with that <laughs> campaign. I'm going to have a QC carrying my QC's briefcase. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, the yeah. old story. You're right. It costs yeah. a lot of money. So, did you plead guilty or not guilty? Well, I pleaded guilty because guilty. they had so much evidence and mm. they threatened to mm. implicate a certain other person, and I said no, and they no. said, well, if you don't sign, we will. And well, I signed. You signed, right. I thought maybe you, you pleaded guilty because of that, that outlandish outfit you wore at the last <laughs> robbery. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> hey, the, the detective who charged me, as we were going up the lift to the armed robbery squad, he looked at me and he said, you are the best-dressed armed robber I've ever met. How come you dress like that? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm Greek. <laughs> Watch, watching too many Untouchables movies or something. You got the style, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I can understand. You know, all right, don't psychoanalyse me now here, mate. I what do you mean? This is what it's all about, the psychoanalysis. I, I, I will never – look, you haven't got enough money for me to yeah, psychoanalyse you, okay? Well, a couple of psychs did, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. So what did the – was it Supreme Court judge, was Supreme it? Supreme Court, yeah. Up on – well, just one? One, and then if you appeal, which yeah. I did, you get yeah. three. Three. Mm. That was very brave appeal. What did you get for the first sentence? Um, well, when they added everything sort of together, mm. like at one stage you were saying seven years for the first robbery, seven for <laughs> – and I'm adding it up thinking, <laughs> what, 30 whatever years? Yeah. Fedinkum, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. And then he said, you know, this goes with that and makes uh, it sort of cumulative, concurrent, uh, whatever. Yeah. And it ended up being 11 years maximum with an eight-year minimum. Now, in those days, on your minimum, you could earn remissions That's for good right. behaviour. Mm. Um, so if you're a good boy, you'd get out on your minimum. If you're a naughty boy, you could do the whole 11. Yeah. Nah, it so was a big whack. Yeah, but how old were you? 
just just turned 22. 22. It is a big whack, but you can have a life after that. You can. Yeah, it's not like getting a 30-year sentence. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what grounds did you appeal on? Because it's got to be a point appeal. of law. You said you appealed. Did yeah, you appeal? I, I, what I, grounds? Well, it was too much. <laughs> What do you reckon? You know what happens. No, no, not only that. I yeah. said, listen, uh, I, I, I had no intent to really harm anyone because mm. I used an imitation gun, blah, blah, mm. blah. And mm. the judge said, do you know that one of your victims had a pacemaker in his heart? Mm. You could have been in front of me for, for murder or at least manslaughter, young man. And yep. I sort of said, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, so right. it didn't wash very well with him. Look, it was my first defence. Right. I, I wasn't a, no, but I wasn't a bad kid. I was a mixed up kid, and I made you used a big to, mistake. You, you used to steal lollies from your dad. Uh, lollies. Uh, I used to steal his pills, actually. His, his pills <laughs> from his cabin. Well, who did you steal lollies from? From but, Mr. Grotch. Oh, right. down, down yeah, the you were a bad kid. You were born bad. Mate. And from Meyer, and <laughs> yeah. from yeah, yeah, David right. Jones, and from I remember the first. I may be old, but I remember the first interview. Okay, yeah, okay. all right. Okay. All right. So this is how you do it, Kelly. You incorporate it into the... Oh, don't explain. It's you're learning, Just are you learning, it. Kelly? Well, this is going to be Herb and I retire. You're gonna, I was about to yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah, that's why. I'm Big good. shoes to fill. No, 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 no. Anybody can fill those shoes. A bit of concrete, no problem. <laughs> so the appeal failed, obviously. Yeah, the appeal failed. Did they increase the sentence? Uh, no, they didn't. They could have. They could have, yeah. Uh, people don't understand didn't. that. They yeah. were sympathetic. All right. The Chief Justice was sympathetic. But he was a bit pissed off with my solicitor. And, and, and the reason for that is the barrister that I had in the first instance, mm. who did a really, he was a Greek bloke and he yeah. really f felt for me, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? And um, uh, he was caught up in another a murder trial or something and he couldn't make the appeal. And so we wanted to postpone it. And my solicitor, bless her heart, just forgot to put a submission in to that effect. <laughs> So we go to the court and we ask these three eminent judges, can we please postpone it? And he says, I don't see any official document requesting that. And then he gave her a dressing down, mate, yeah, in court. Yeah. He said, oh, you yeah. should be ashamed mm. of yourself. Mm. This mm. is a blah, 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 blah. And then he said, no, you can't have an extension. I want you here in three days with another barrister. Yeah. Now, guess who suffered there? You, obviously. Me. Yeah, that's right. Me. Yeah, because he so, remembered you. So, so we ended up. Like, you know, flipping a coin, literally. Yeah. They came to me and they gave me a list. This is my barrister eventually came to me and sh she, my mm -hmm. solicitor. And I said, I don't know who to get. And they said, well, here's a list. And I said, what, am I meant to pick one? <laughs> I said, who are they? Oh, look, I think this one and that one. So she got a coin out of her bag and I yeah. tossed it and I got this bloke. Yeah. I won't mention his name. He might still be alive. Uh, yeah, may see And, it. mate, I could have done... A better a job. Better job. Yeah, it's, it's like medicine, you know. Sometimes Mate. you get a good doctor, sometimes you get a bad doctor. It's, that's the way it goes. Yeah, exactly. So, so obviously, you never spent a day in jail. Prison, yeah. And in those days, Pentridge, Pentridge. was the place for you. Yeah, we all went to Pentridge first. So, what's your um, hat first when you walk through? I've, I've walked through those gates yeah. as a prison doctor, not as a yeah. prisoner, okay, <laughs> in Pentridge when I was a young man. And uh, what did you think? I just couldn't comprehend. I couldn't believe that, like, I remember I said to someone, what, I've got to live in there? <laughs> he said, yeah, that's that's Pentridge. And I said, really? And I was just scared. 
just this fear hit me. Mm. Um, I was completely out of my depth. I had no, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't molly coddled and, and mm. cocooned as a kid and mm. cotton wool, but mm. this was another world, completely mm. other world, another world. Yep. Now, it's one thing to look at uh, an infrastructure, a building, which is kind of haunting, like, like a haunted castle. It's the people in it. That's what was really scary as I came to experience. Mm, mm. And the problem was I stood out. Why? Because you were young and... Well, I'll, I'll illustrate. When they first locked me up in the cells, as wide as my arm span... Right, did you have a single cell or you shared the Single cell. cell. Lucky single. boy, lucky boy. Well, there you go. See, yeah. you know. A mm. lot of people... <laughs> well, I didn't know, you see. So when they locked me up in this arm span wide two and a half times arm span wide length mm. uh, claustrophobia hit me and I remember I was struggling to breathe and I thought I can't stay in here and there was no window to no. look out there was no fresh air there was nothing and it was Christmas around Christmas it was stinking hot um, so the next morning uh, I went to the chief and I said excuse me can you put me somewhere else and he said <laughs> he said where do you want to go I said a dormitory he said, do you want to go into dormitory? I said, yes, please, <laughs> with human beings. So he put me in the dorm. Yeah. Well, we're, we're in this special dorm where the, they used to make number plates in Pentridge. Yeah, I remember So that, those yeah. billets and the yeah. kitchen billets yeah. and others like that um, lived in these dorms where there was a common kind of lounge area with yeah. a toaster and TV and a yeah. bin. And they could stay, instead of getting locked away at 3.45, they could stay up till 9. So it was a, a privilege. Okay, so I'm in there because I got a job in classification once I was processed, mm -hmm. which was like a glorified clerk's job. Mm -hmm. So I'm in there too, right? And we're watching TV, five of us. And there's a billiard table in front two guys playing pool and one of the guys he puts a chair in front of the tv steps up changes the channel and then goes back to playing pool well no one said anything <laughs> and and i'm sort of thinking i'm trying to you know this doesn't make any sense so i politely said excuse me and he just looked at me and he wasn't big but he had green eyes uh -huh. he had green eyes and he had tattoos of yeah, tears going yeah, down his face. That's always a worry. Yes, and mm. cut here across yeah. his throat mm. and mm. hate and yeah. hate on his knuckles. And you hadn't realised. I had no idea. I was just politely said, excuse oh. me, and he said, what? Uh, no, he said nothing. Uh -huh. And I said, uh, I, I thought he didn't hear me, so I said it again. And he sort of walked up slowly towards <laughs> me. Fortunately, there was a table in front of me. <laughs> and he walked up and he said, what did you say? And I said, well, we're watching a movie and you're playing, and you change the channel. Like, why'd you do that? And all of a sudden, he just brings that billiard cue across my, fortunately I got my arm up, forearm, broke across my forearm, snapped across my head, and then he lunged at me and I reared back and the pointed 17 got within yeah. you know, a few centimetres of my eyes yeah. and I just freaked. And he's yelling out, you fucking university student. <laughs> you see? Now... That's what he said, right? Yeah. He found out where I'd come from. Right. In his eyes, yes. I wasn't a legitimate crim. No, that's right. I was this would-be, pathetic, yeah, educated yeah, person who yeah. represented everything that he despised. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. you see. Mm. And so he was trying to bring me down to his level. Mm. That story ended with me picking up the chair and I would have hit him mm. uh, until a big bloke <laughs> called Fred, Big Fred, yep. who also had tattoos <laughs> and blue eyes. Right. And he was a nice bloke and he grabbed me and he took me into the dorm and he said, yeah. listen, young man, I feel sorry for you. Uh, you've got to get out of here because if you'd hit him, he's got a couple of mates who are in for murder. They would have attacked you and you would have been in big trouble. Mm. So the next morning I went back to the chief and I said, excuse me, can you put me back in a one, one outer? And he laughed. Yeah. I said, didn't you like it in there? I said, no, I didn't like it. So, you know. So how did you, how did you while away the eight years? Um, keeping busy. Mm. I'm doing Joe, what? Joe, uh, it, it started with... Um, Toy stuffing, making stuffed toys, and then mm. from that I progressed to macrame, and then from there I progressed to leather work, which I was pretty good at, mm. and then uh, 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 copper work, mm. interspersed with study, right. periods of study. Uh, 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 what were you studying? Well, a guy that I met in there who was a lawyer um, said to me, listen, Arthur, you're in here for a long time. Um, Use the time, don't let the time use you. Yeah, and I thought yeah. it was a riddle, you know, what mm. does that mean? Mm. Um, and I came to appreciate what that meant. And, and so he said, why don't you finish your degree? And I said, oh, okay. So I applied. There was no distance education at Melbourne Uni, and I don't know if there is now. But because of who I was and where I was, they allowed me to study. And all I had was textbooks mm -hmm. and a few notes sent from some secretary at the office and so I passed the subjects I'd failed, and I was doing okay. And then they moved me from Pentridge to Beechworth. Now, as soon as that happened, Beechworth, yes, oh. and everything goes into storage. Mm. And sometimes you don't get it back for a while. Yeah. And there was also the stigma because I was the only student at Beechworth Prison, as opposed <laughs> to A Division, where they put me, where there was an education centre, right? Right. So people were more amenable to you know students studying. Yeah. But at Beechworth, out of 100 inmates, I was the only one doing full-time education. And everyone, but everyone, uh, sort of thought, why? Who do you think you are? Mm. And I said, well, I'm just, this is my right. I'm allowed to do education. I don't want to sit in the workshop putting nails in seedling friggin' boxes, you know. But that created a lot of problems for me. And so... For a lot of reasons, I sort of stopped and started and stopped and started, and uh, that's how it went for mm. a few years. I did sociology for a while. That was interesting. But again, I dropped out. Oh, and drugs. And drugs. As soon as you get access to drugs, why mm. would you study? You, know, you mm. just want to be stoned. So it was easy getting drugs those days in prison? Um, maximum security is always harder, mm -hmm. but where there's a will, there's a way. There's will, there's a way. I could tell way. you stories. stories. And then Beechworth, medium security. Oh, the Bush Gang. Yep. They worked, you know, and they'd bring it in. Someone would drop it, they'd bring it in. Yeah. Visitors. Mm. And then you go to minimum security. True story. At a prison called Morwell River in the Streslecki Ranges, I mm. thought they were taking me to Siberia. Um, <laughs> hey, it's a very nice place, the Streslecki Ranges. Well, you is. can buy good real estate these days well, there at mate, reasonable prices. Mate, this was bush. <laughs> this was deep-seated jungle. It is bush. bush. It is jungle. And... Um, uh, about half a k from the prison because mm. we were there on trust, so mm. you weren't locked in at night even no. because of the risk of fire. Mm. And it used to be a reforestation prison. Mm. I actually secreted 
hose and shovels and all sorts of other shit into this little plot that I found about half a k from the jail because we were allowed to go for runs or mm. walks. Yep. And I started a little marijuana plantation. plantation. Mm. This is in prison. In prison. And I would have cultivated it mm. and been stoned for the rest of my time in prison every minute of every day, except that I was shanghaied back to Pentridge on a, another drug-related charge. Uh, and what's it like going back to Pentridge? Well, after three years, uh, it, it, had, it held no fear at all. Mm. You see, I... I'd, you knew the ropes. I'd adjusted yeah. to this other world. But the problem was everything I adjusted to was not was going to create problems when I got out because you had to unlearn all the things you learned. Mm, I mean, mm. I say to people who ask me, oh, didn't you get rehabilitated in prison? <laughs> and I say, are you serious? Haven't <laughs> they called it the University of Crime? Well, yeah, yeah, that. But, you know, I coined a phrase, um, it is an illogical expectation that a person can be rehabilitated mm. in a captive environment right. of institutionalised dependency. Yep. Mm. I mean, you didn't have to do anything. Mm. Everything was done. You didn't have to worry about paying bills. You didn't have to... Look, prison has a, a useful purpose. And I know people who have experienced it, and that is it saved their lives from the next hit in the lane I was going to say in Collingwood or somewhere. Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So prison saved lives. But that aside, it didn't really serve any purpose. Mm. And, and in fact, you could become so dependent on that system that when you got out, you'd prefer to be back in. And I know people like that. Mm. Does it harden people? Um, you necessarily become hardened in there in order to survive. Now, look, the violence and all that of the Pentridge era has, has changed. And one of the reasons for it is the calibre of the inmates, because most of them now are drug addicts. Mm. Back in my day, there were some tough dudes, man, wharf, wharf, you know, wharf what are they called? They're Painters and dockers. Painters and dockers, there's yeah. quite a few of them. Yeah. Biker gangs yeah. and career crims. Yeah. Tough men for whom imprisonment was a, a you know. Badge a, of honour. And, and it, it, was, and it was also, a, you know, a sort of a hazard of your work. <laughs> it's an occupational hazard. Occupational hazard. <laughs> and right. they did it with pride and mm. they did it with dignity and mm. they were tough people you didn't mess with them no and um and there were some crazies too mm. you know, that you had to worry but now it's full of drug addicts the other thing is modern prisons are, are, are designed in a way that within a larger prison there are smaller units and they're managed and designed in ways where you just can't find hiding spots and there no. are cameras everywhere yeah. So the violence perpetrated back then, say A Division, 300 men, three tiers, yes. way down the other end of the tier, away from where the screws were sitting in the circle. Mm. Yeah. So when were you released? Released? Yeah. Um, I was released in 1983. 83. Um, on April the 16th. Yeah, it, know, was a, it was a rainy day. You know the movies, you know, you go, go out the door and if. Somebody's waiting. Was there yes. anybody waiting? Yeah, my brother-in-law, Gabriel. <laughs> oh, that's nice. He was waiting in his car. And <laughs> that's 40 years this year. There you go. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. And um, Malcolm, my mate Malcolm, he was in for a lifer. He'd killed his wife. He was mm. a really nice bloke, though, and he and I became really close friends. And he was standing there in the drizzling rain. Mm. And um, I remember sitting in the car looking at him. 
and wanting to take him with me because he'd done 20 something years mm. he, he'd done you know enough enough yeah. and i knew him well enough to know this guy you know he mm. he's not going to get out and harm anyone anyway so my brother-in-law drove sort of down the road a piece and then he stopped and he said is there anything you want to do and i said um well i, I had these symbolic acts in my head that i was going to get out kiss the earth <laughs> like some pope i think used yeah, to yeah, do yeah, that yeah, yeah. but i didn't i just started crying and i cried and cried and he waited <laughs> and when i finished i just said take me home mm, mm. that's what i remember were you welcomed home absolutely my mm. family look what they visited you in jail and looked they after did you everything for mm. me and t- t- till this day mm. joe mm. Uh, i can't express enough my gratitude and the importance of having a family because so many of these people no one i'm talking no one mm. all the bridges have been burnt a long time ago and the only people that have time for them are their mates who are like them mm. and you know they're in prison i've run programs where i remember one guy i said so where are you going to go because it was a pre-release post-release program where are you going to go he said, I don't know. I said, well, put your parents' address, you know, assuming. Assumption. Assuming, yeah, yeah. He said, I don't know who my parents, I don't even know. You mm. know relatives? No, I've got no one. I said, mm. well, well, put your friends. He goes, my friends? Well, they're all in here. <laughs> I said, just leave it blank for now. We'll sort that later. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. So my family, look, my father, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, when I got sentenced, he approached my sister and asked her to go and talk to the barrister to see whether he could ask the judge whether instead of me going to prison he could go to prison Mm. i learned that after he died Mm. and i cried Mm. because who loves you that much and you know what when he'd come and visit me he'd hardly ever say anything he'd just sit there with his Mm. And sort of whistle to himself and do this with his hand, touch all his fingers, fingers yep, and yep. just sit there doing that. Mm. And towards the end of the visit, he'd say, "Do you need anything? What what can we bring you next time?" Mm. And I'd tell him, and then it was time to go. Now, eighty percent of the time that I'd go out, I'd be stoned. It was the only way I could cope. Mm. Mm. Fuck. Um, And I'd go to put my arms around him and he'd sort of just push me back. He didn't know to hug me, but he would have gone to jail for me for five and a half years. Well, he was a man of his time. Yeah. I could tell you about my father. And I'm sure most people listening in our age group, I mean, that's who they were. That's what society made of them. They didn't show emotion, but they loved and they'd do anything for you. He would have sold his house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My mother said, he said to me, if yeah. we need a better or whatever, we can sell the house. And, and yeah. mum said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they're very practical mothers. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We've gone the punishment, redemption. Yes. Now, you've been very active in a lot of positive ways as far as society is concerned mm. and as far as some of the, I understand, your victims are concerned. Yes, yes. Do you want to go into that? 
Well, when I got out of prison, uh, the first job I got, apart from a bit of factory work just to make some dollars and sort of try and assimilate a little bit, I got a job um, unexpectedly heading up a new youth department for this Christian organisation. And I put in, Mm. um, I don't know why I did, because I certainly didn't expect to get Get anywhere. Mm. And they interviewed me and then they offered me the job. And I remembered thinking, do you know what you're doing? I got out of jail about five months ago, four months ago. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten married within three months. That was, another, that was quick work. That was another big deal. <laughs> that is quick work. Yeah, talk about stress, eh? New job, uh, new wife, right, and right. freedom from prison. Yeah, but the new <laughs> wife hadn't, hadn't been picked by your dad, had she? Well, he, 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 <laughs> he, he wanted her. Yes. Uh, that's a whole other... That's the romance part of the story. <laughs> um, it's a shame the marriage didn't survive it um but anyway so i got that job Mm. and you know some newspaper wanted to interview me related to the church Mm. as i went along i thought they want to interview me that's interesting Mm. so they interviewed me and the next minute mate i became a celebrity and fed income for the next five years i was booked up to travel here and travel there and share my story and and people just couldn't get enough but it wasn't only that i started getting people contacting me referring me as someone that you could go to who could help you why because i'd been in prison and i'd come out and i was you know what they call lived experience lived experience these these days days. that's how they package it lived experience so i didn't have any sort of boundaries I didn't know how to say no, mm. um, so I'm running around with my new wife, mm. and um, I'm trying to save everyone and help everyone. And uh, I had some serious issues. I needed to heal, you know, and I didn't get that chance. Um, so it went from stress to stress to stress. And long story short, one day I messed up. I uh, committed adultery. Mm. Adultery. Do we use that word still? <laughs> we sure do. When you're married, it is adultery. It is, and um, it's you know that's the yeah. greatest sin. Well, I don't know about unless that. It's a, unless it's an open marriage. I don't know. Unless well, it's an no, open marriage. No, no there, yeah, it's a sin. No, yeah. Anyway, and three years later, mm. um, uh, I told my former wife, and she absolutely understandably kind of lost it and then the marriage just kind of deteriorated and I ended up getting divorced. Um, In the meantime, I I did other things like when that marriage ended, I gave up the work I was doing and at that point I was working with a Christian prison ministry, Mm -hmm. helping prisoners, you know, good fit, lived experience. Um, So I had to give it all up and then I thought, what can I do? So I started driving cabs. I did that for three and a half years and um, after that, at the age of 40, I gave that up and I went back to uni. And I remember the sub-dean of the law faculty said, do you still want to finish your degree? I said, finally, no. I should have said this right at the start. No, it was a big mistake. I want to do criminology. Because it didn't exist or I didn't know about it back then and it was a good fit. Because I'd been through the criminal justice system, so I did uh, ended up doing a postgraduate degree, a master's degree. I did a thesis where I researched my own experience. So what was the thesis called? The Significance of Christianity in Reforming Prisoners. And what was your conclusion? 
that for people who embrace religious faith of whatever kind, if they're devout and sincere about it, absolutely it can have a positive effect on their lives mm. and help them to potentially live crime-free lives and make a contribution. Because all the ex-prisoners I've ever known, honestly, who have you know, turned the corner, so mm. to speak, mm. they all want to make a contribution. So they draw mm. from all the shit that they've experienced. They draw the positive lessons they've learned and then they utilise those to try and help others. Redemption. Redemption. How have you made? What's your contribution? My contribution, gee, I've never actually sat and thought about that as a sort of discrete thing. Hmm. Um, it's just sort of happened and I've just gone with the flow. Um, but how, how has that influenced people? How has your presence uh, kind of changed people's lives or their direction of their lives? Obviously, you've been doing this type of work for a long time. I and obviously, you wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't some success. Yes, of course, of course. Look, uh, I just from the very beginning from the time i got out i just had compassion for these people you know that jesus mm -hmm. famously once said these are the last and the least and if you don't help them mm. then all your religiosity is a pile of poo uh, yeah, shit. <laughs> so to yeah, speak yeah. do you know what i mean mm. and, and that's true because those people are the hardest people it's kind of easy to go and help someone who's hanging in and mm. coping sort of to it. But when you, when you work with people like the people who end up in prison, you, mm. you, you sort of metaphorically get your, get your hands dirty, yeah? Mm. And it can cost you. Um, How? What, what do you mean cost you? It costs you emotionally because you invest in their lives. Um, and to be empathetic rather than just sympathetic, you've got to get involved. And when you get involved with anyone who's experiencing pain, you necessarily absorb it, don't you? Yeah. Mm. Now, the important thing I hadn't learned in the early days, which I've learned since, you've got to expunge the pain from your soul. Uh, or compartmentalise it. Compartmentalise it. Well, however you do it, yeah. you can't afford to let it sit in your gut and in your That's heart right. and in you your mind. Because then you're useless to yourself and it'll destroy helping. you. Yeah. Vicarious trauma, it's also called. There you go. Vicarious Thank you trauma. Thank you. You've done psychology, professor? have you? <laughs> yes, Professor. Um, Thank you. Vicarious trauma. Yeah. You don't need to look at your watch. No. She looks at the watch. No, fair That's enough. That's her job. Fair enough. Don't take her job. No, I won't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologise. That's why she flashes those cards like 40 minutes yeah, have gone. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so uh, have a drink. Have a drink. Yeah, have on. a drink. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have a kind of so verbal you're gonna look intercourse. You're going to look at me. Yeah, I'm going to have verbal intercourse with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, she's very nice. She buys the guests a drink. drink yeah. The, the station does it. Kelly does it out oh, of her own pocket. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, no she's, problem. She's, she's a gem. You may you kind of compared prison populations. I find this interesting. So, what what is the bulk of the prison population these days? Because obviously you're still involved mm, in this type of, of course. work. Well, the bulk of them, um, you know, we use terms like disadvantaged, marginalised, etc., mm. etc. Et so, what does that mean in practical terms? Mm. Um, it means people who are largely undereducated or uneducated. I mean, it wasn't until I went to prison that I discovered there are people who can't read and write who are adults. Mm. 
or they were functionally illiterate, yep. you know. And just that alone um, puts you at the bottom of the totem pole. Education is so important for so many reasons, apart from qualifications. You know, I say to VCE kids, hey, your education's not so you can get an ATAR score to get to uni to get a good job to make a lot of money, which is the mantra in their heads. Mm. Yeah? I say education empowers you, creates opportunities for you, mm. enables you to make a contribution, blah, 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 which it does. These people are uneducated, undereducated. They're drug addicted. 75% of them in prison right now in Victoria have been in prison before. Uh, substance abuse issues, alcoholism, mental health. One colleague uh, termed prison the mental health institution of the 21st century. It is, since they closed down the, the a asylums. Absolutely. They made no provision. They said, oh, we'll, we'll treat it in the community. Exactly. And then made no resources, no no staff, yeah. no sites. And You're the, right, it is. And, and, and half, half of police work these days is... I remember we were doing a... Um, we did a 10-day public housing protest for homelessness about four or five years ago on the steps of Parliament House. And uh, the sergeant who was in charge, they wanted to, the younger blokes wanted to clear us off the steps. Mm. And, and I had a good chat to him. And we realised we were on the same page. Yeah. Because we were doing the work that they hate doing. Yes, of they, course. They hate going around having to deal with people with, you know, uh, domestic violence, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, drug abuse, yeah. you know, minor drug abuse, all that type of stuff. But that's 90% of their work it these is. days. It it's is. It is. terrible. So have you got any solutions? Solutions? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, well, I am serious. Okay. You've got a real experience. Yeah, I'm a criminologist. Yeah. Oh, I'm, the, I'm an expert. Yeah. Well, one solution is stop building prisons. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who advises the, you know, the politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, look, it's the media, mainly I, I, the Murdoch-driven media. Was, they advise the politicians. I was going to... I mean, true, mate, it's true. You, you, yeah. you know your stuff. Like, you know, he's he's anticipated <laughs> what I'm going to say. Face. No, no, he's pretty switched on, is, is oh, Joe well, thank here. You, thank well you. done. Thank you, Because Arthur. when yeah. I talk to kids, because I do a talk called yeah. The Prison System mm. uh, to Legal Studies Students, and it's yeah. quite popular, uh, and I love it. And that's the thing I say. I say, so... At a time where over the last 20 years, across major crimes, um, offending is actually dropping. That's right. Right? But at the same time, imprisonment rates are increasing. How does that figure? And I explain this and this and this as reasons, and then I say, and the media. The media that propagates fear and has us thinking that a bunch of Sudanese teenagers yep, yep. are terrorising all of Victoria, and so next time we see them, oh, look, it could be one of them. And then, then we have the you know the acting Prime Minister, Mr Dutton, telling us that it's all Africans, you know? Mate, stereotypes. It's, it's all about stereotypes. It's, it's terrible. It's mm, terrible. Mm. So, you know, let's, let's address those issues. Let's actually educate the public about the issues and who these people are rather than scapegoating mm. and all the rest of it. Let's go to the suburbs where the problem actually begins because some years ago, Jesuit Social Services did some research. The postcode research. Did I, did I, how did you know that? <laughs> Look, did, did I mention it I, to you? No, I do a number of programs. It's <laughs> interesting. He knows, <laughs> he's, he knows a couple of things. There you go. You know, to your credit, well done. I, I wish more people mm. knew what you know. Because, you know, when I mentioned that, that 
60% of them come from, you know, what is it, 4% of postcodes. That's right. That one in four come from 2% of postcodes, and there are hundreds and hundreds of postcodes. And when I say to kids, where do you reckon those, where wouldn't you want to live in Victoria? And they know. They know. Yep. And I say, well, the research shows that little boys predominantly are going to drop out of school, drop into trouble, drop into drugs, drop into the youth justice system, and within five years they're going to be in the adult prison system, and it's going to cost the taxpayer every year that they're in the youth justice system over half a million dollars and 130-odd thousand a year when they become adults. What's that about? It doesn't work. Mm. Um, how to fix it? I'm a little bit pessimistic, uh, I'm afraid, well, Joe. What do you reckon about decriminalisation uh, uh, of drugs? J j just to say this, I'm pessimistic because I think you mm. need to go to the source of the problem and not just address the effect. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the source of the problem, if you go to those postcodes, try and help those families. Try and lift them out of, you know, whatever form of degradation or, mm. or, or um, mm. disadvantage they have. But for that to happen, you know what else has to happen? Oh, it's a challenge of the public mindset. Yeah, greedy people yeah, yeah. have to start yeah. parting with some of their money and yeah, some of their opportunity yeah, and yeah. spread it around. And we're not going to do that, mate. No. Well, RoboDebt was a classical example of, you know, stereotypes, classical illegal government activity yeah. affecting hundreds of thousands of people who of did nothing wrong. Of course. And, and you're quite right. It's it's about income. I mean, we, we all talk about racism and we talk about, you know, misogynism and all these isms, but we never talk about income inequality in this country. Absolutely. And, and over the last 40 years, I'll give you an example. 40 years ago, a single wage earner could work for seven years mm. and buy a home. Mm. Seven years work, a single wage earner. Today, wow. seven years. Yeah. <laughs> today we have intergenerational mortgages. Yeah, when you die, you hand over the mortgage to your yeah. kids. Yeah. You know? Just like we have intergenerational crime. Yeah. yeah, it's just extraordinary. And the other thing, Give you another example. These are the things I talk about. CEO's average CEO salary in Australia is five million. Mm. Their salary has increased by fifteen percent in the last year because mm. we allow all this to happen. Yeah, of because course. we're very passive. People say Australians mm. are rebels. We're not. No, we're not. We're an exceptionally passive population. Mm. You know, we'll mm. accept anything. Mm. Well, when you become preoccupied with your own nest. Mm. Mm. And that's sort of, or, or your tribe, and that's yeah. all you be, care about. Well, yeah. it's it's inevitable that that's mm. going to happen. It's going to create factions and warring. And mm. so you don't think decriminalisation of drugs or legalising drugs yeah, will make a difference look, that, in terms of emptying the prisons? Um, well, put it this way: uh, research tells us that roughly half of all prisoners uh, are not violent. They're not in there for violent crime. I always say, well, if if they're not violent and dangerous, keep them in the community, make them pay. Mm. In, a, in a positive way. That, I call that redemptive punishment. Putting them in prison where they sit around doing not much um, and then at the end of the sentence tagging on some programs mm. to manage their anger or oh, their yeah. drug addiction. Tick the box if you want to get out, mm. right? That's mm. what it's about. Mm. Really, if we have to have prisons, even for the hardened, uh, dangerous ones, use the time. Don't let the time use you, mm. you know? That little saying resonates with me in so many ways. If I ran the prison system, I would make education in whatever form, whether it's vocational, PhD, learning to read, compulsory, mm. just like everything else is yeah, compulsory. Yeah.
in prison, yeah. And use education because education is one of the tools that can unlock a person's life mm. for, the, for the better. Absolutely. What do you think of the concept of restore, restorative, restorative justice, justice when you meet the people you've actually uh, harmed yeah, and well, come to some time? A lot of, a lot of First Nations law is based on the concept absolutely. of restorative ju- absolutely justice. Absolutely it is. And it has incredible merit, but we, we don't do it. Restorative justice has been used in the youth justice system to some extent, but not in the adult system. And in some cases, it's not possible. You know, you murder someone, you kill someone, you rape someone, maybe Mm. they don't want to meet with you. But uh, if they do, and in other instances, I think it's a really important thing. The closest I came to it was a few years ago on Insight. I was on Insight, you know, that SBS program. And there were three of us, and it was all about... Did we feel uh, remorse for what we'd done? And when they asked me, I said, I didn't feel any remorse. Oh, you didn't? I said, no. I nearly got shot, remember? And then I went through this system that landed me in Pentridge. Did you want me to sit and think I was the victim as far as I could see it? And there's a lot of truth in that. I was. I didn't deserve to get attacked. Mm. I didn't get deserved to be demeaned by certain prison officers who in those days... Were gods. And some of them were sadistic. Yep. yep. Um, you know, yep. their job was to brutalise. Mm. A lot of things happened to me that should never have happened. If you want to rehabilitate me, don't put me through that process because yeah. I'm not going to get rehabilitated. No. In fact, the opposite's going to happen. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's... Oh, it just raises so many issues, Joe. So mm. many issues. Look, but, if, but just to finish what yep. what we were saying there on that show um, after the show, because I didn't just say I said it took yep. time and mm. down the track. I, the first victims I thought about were my family because they were victims. There's mm. a ripple effect, mm. right? Um, after the show on their Facebook page, um, a lot of people hitting and saying, oh, that was really good what he said and it was good how he t- turned his life around, he's been helping. And then there were two scathing criticisms and you know who they were. One was the wife of that police officer who I nearly shot in the face and he'd been traumatised. Mm. And the other was the children of the first robbery I did who lost his job because he couldn't work. This is 40 years that hit me like few things have hit me in life. I thought, wow, I caused this. So the only thing I could do was write back. And it took a while, some communication between us. But I'm glad to say that the outcome of that was that both of them, when they got to see a little bit clear, more clearly who I was, mm. they both forgave me. And that just was... That's an extraordinary moment in anybody's life. Absolutely. That is extraordinary. Absolutely. You know, that leaves me speechless, which is unusual. And one thing, Joe, Mm. that I've learned to do in my life Mm. is to seek forgiveness and to give forgiveness. Because if you can't do that, you've got problems. You're stuck. And and you thrive on your own poison, pretty Mm. much. Mm. So I've, I've been able... On in, I could give you many illustrations to to uh, to, to show that, um, and it's helped to free me, to release me, to heal me, and, and I'm in this process of healing, and I'll die in that process, mm. but at least I'm healing. Right. Yeah. Mm. And you, well, fifty minutes have gone. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Kelly's very good with the with the, with the, with the, you know giving. You know, us before the time. we go any further, can you just explain uh, um, what is criminology? 
What is criminal? Well, cr- criminology is basically... Uh, wanking. Uh, wanking. <laughs> it's basically the study of the criminal justice system. Oh, okay. Of the study which, of the system. Yeah, yeah. The police, the courts, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the prison system, if you like, and mm. everything in between from theoretical to, uh, mm. you know, applying program programming, prevention, all sorts of things. Yeah, you've got all types of criminologists. I remember the good old... It's 80, very broad. In the 1890s, phrenology was the big thing. Phrenology, yeah. yeah That's yeah, about that. criminals, though. Like you're talking, you're saying it's about the system, not about people that commit no, crime. No, but the, the people, people are obviously part of that system. Oh, okay. If yeah. you if you don't look at the people, people. What, what are you looking at? Exactly. Yeah, okay. it's got a long history. Criminology. Fascinating. Then, so you do like a history of prison systems and punishment systems. Yeah, and you look at it from many many angles, many angles. From, yeah, to from causes to prevention, from young people to the elderly, from you name it. It's just uh, mm. it's pretty full on. So, so, so do you think income inequality is a at the basis of oh, look, a it's lot a, of crime? It's a well partic- because people don't have options, particularly for people coming out of prison, hmm. and and even ones who have tried to to turn you know, a new chapter in life. And and I've I've worked with these people for years. That was my specialty: the transition from prison to the community, and. Um, Three things we, as a famous priest, Father John Brosnan, once, 30 years, prison chaplain, Catholic prison chaplain at Pentridge, good bloke, I met him a few times, and he famously said something that summed up all the research I've ever done. He said, three things someone needs coming out who wants to kick on, somewhere decent to live, at least as decent as prison, and a lot of them don't. They're better off in prison. Can you believe that? They're better oh, off look, in prison. I, look, I've seen a lot of dives and I can yeah. understand that. Okay. Uh, the second thing they need is a job they can handle, not just any job. I've got a friend who's 53. He's never done a tax return in his life. Why? He's never had a job. Right? You can't stick him in a nine-to-five in a factory six days a week mm. when he could go out and score money at a phenomenal rate in you know, a, a couple of hours. So you've got to sort of graduate them into the work and hopefully work that they find a little bit interesting would be useful. And the third thing is a friend. And then John Brosnan qualified it and said, and the hardest one to provide of the three is the friend. And he was spot on. Because in my experience, if you want to reform, rehabilitate, whatever term you want to use, help to turn someone's life around who wants to be turned around, they need help. If they don't get it, it's impossible. And, and just to illustrate that, I say to people, when middle-class Australia talks about rehabilitation, here's what they're really saying. They're saying, hey, you, criminal, offender, we want you to be like us, to think like us, to behave like us, to pay your taxes like us, blah, 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 blah. I haven't got a problem with that. That's wonderful. But here's the thing. How do they do that? How do they learn that? The equivalent of what you're asking is if I took you, middle-class Australian, and I dropped you in their postcode tomorrow, and I said, cut it with these people. Mm. If I took you and dropped you in the drug scene where, where they know how to survive, how would you cope? And if I took you and dropped you in a maximum security prison, how would you fare? Well, so why do you expect them to do the converse in your world. Mm. They don't understand your world any more than you understand theirs. Mm. The best way to teach them, programs play a place, but it's theoretical largely. In my experience, 
the programs I've been involved in that have really cut it where it counts is programs where volunteers have visited prisoners, established relationships with them, and then when they've come out of prison into the community, they've lived in the same sort of geographic area and they've spent time together doing normal things that human beings do, like going to the footy, uh, eating a pizza together, mm, do you know? Mm. And that, via this process of almost like osmosis, you learn, you observe, you watch, yeah. and then you ask questions. Yep. That's rehabilitation, if you want to call it that. Well, we had a, believe it or not, we had a program in 1972 when I was a medical student, and we'd visit prisoners in Bogger Road Jail. Yeah, notorious Queensland. Notorious prison, yeah. And we'd visit them, and then sometimes, once they were released, we'd, we'd organise picnics and things for their families. Yeah. And them. Yeah. So yeah. you're quite right. Everybody needs a friend. Yeah. But do you... I mean, the prison system continues to expand. The court system expands. Mm. There's a lot of people making a lot of money out of oh, yeah. out of this. Do you think? Oh, it'll, yeah. Do you think there is there is there is that uh, desire for change in the population, or while the media, you know? No, no, because um, they have been hoodwinked in in terms of the truth of imprisonment mm. and what it means and what it does. And until that changes, nothing will change. Politicians will pander to the common denominator, of common denominator whatever is easiest. Yeah, whatever is easiest. So, you know, jump on the back of fear. Now, you got remarried, didn't you? Yeah, I've been married. All right, twice. look, I'm not going to thank you for coming in a second time, Arthur. I'm going to thank your wife for putting up with all... No, 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 that marriage ended, mate. you got no marriage now? No, no, you're, you're, you're fancy free. Well, <laughs> I am Look, sorry. I'd like to thank all the people, <laughs> all the people, because what... What you're doing has a huge personal cost. Yeah. And you've been paying that. You may not realise it, but you've been paying that personal cost because of immersing yourself in this work selflessly. It's a huge personal cost. Yeah, and oh, the people around you are those who, you're right. not just your family, but your various relationships, yeah. they're the ones who've actually pay the ultimate price. That's probably the most astute observation you've made, Joe. <laughs> no, I mean it. A lot of people yeah. would, have, would be clueless to think that because yeah. they don't yeah. understand That's right. what, what we've been talking about. That's right. And you do, you do. And mm. I've, I have paid a, a big price and my kids. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much. And if that little penguin appears <laughs> on the horizon, <laughs> All right. give us a call because... Yeah, Kelly and I will be waiting for an invitation. All right. What penguin? <laughs> it, it's all right. It's gone right over my head, that one. <laughs> exactly. And it's meant to be, but we might have an astute listener or two who may That's understand right. what's going on. Yeah. Um, but, but there are penguins everywhere, but the penguins we love, well, Arthur loves, are those that love him. <laughs> Thank you. Well put. Uh, it's been great having you on the show, Arthur, so much. We've really enjoyed hearing your story and thanks for entertaining us and educating us. Yeah, and, and likewise, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's, I've really enjoyed, I've done a lot of interviews, in, but I, this is up there with the best. Well, I've really enjoyed much. myself. Thank you both. And keep up your great work. It's so important. No, but we would like to see you when that penguin arrives. Absolutely. <laughs> and, we want, you know. and I want that invitation, mate. I, I, I know all the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Thanks, You're Arthur. On. Bye. I hold you in my arms, a tender laugh and a friendly tease. 
The wheel of fortune spinning slowly Don't know where it's bound to cease mm-hmm. You can see my problem now I'm in love with the perfect girl I've got it so good now But how can I keep this love from growing old? Growing old Oh, why must I worry so? With every day my love still grows I gotta let my mind let go And together we can let our love Grow ever Should I have a problem now I'm in love with the perfect girl I've got it so good now But how can I keep this love From growing old Growing old Growing You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.